3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation's true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. And good morning, listeners. You're listening to 3CR Thursday morning breakfast, 8.55am. And your hosts this morning are myself, Carly, and Priya. Welcome, Priya. Hello. Good morning. It is the 28th of January. How did the month fly by so fast? Um, as you probably noticed, we're back to live programming today. So our first time back in the studio in 2021. Um, and... There's been a lot that's been happening this year so far, hey? Oh, yeah. Huge year. Um, I myself have been in Lutruwita for a month now, so just been hiking around, um, yeah, in the wilderness, and it's been incredibly wonderful. Um, Saw a lot of paddy melons and wombats. Um, Tried to see a Tasmanian devil, but um, no luck on this trip. Um, but yeah, so many things have also been happening in Nam. Um, quite a few things have been happening in the uh, like national political landscape as well. Um, supposedly, we are now one and free. Um. <laughs> yeah, wild. I have seen absolutely no evidence of that on the ground, but I guess maybe it's a trickle down effect. Mm, trickle down. Um, and I mean, the Landback Festival, that was only on the weekend. And you were there, Priya? Yeah, that was wonderful. Um, it was, unfortunately, you know, it was, it was scheduled for Saturday and Sunday, but because of extreme weather on Sunday and Monday, um, the organizers very sensibly decided to have it just on the Saturday. So we had a longer day. It was from about, if I'm correct, uh, 11 a.m. to about 10 p.m. Um, huge range of great uh, live music. There was food. Uh, the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance had a stall where we made, well, where the where AAA made slime. Um, so much shaving cream, um, so many, uh, so many amazing kids from the block uh, throwing ice at each other, uh, which we needed to cool down our drinks, but it's all right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was a fundraising for Warren of Canuck, which is a land back sovereign initiative. Um, and also for Fortuna Youth Nursery, which is a uh, climate and food justice initiative based in Vanuatu. And yeah, I think um, it went really well. Um, it was a beautiful day all around. And I'm just really glad that I that I got to be there and, and help out a little bit. Um, and then also, um, as you'll all know, and you would have heard a bit of if you've been listening to 3CR over this week, uh, the Invasion Day uh, rally in Narm was broadcast live on 3CR um, on Tuesday, and rallies went um, off across the country as usual, calling to abolish Australia Day. Um, we obviously support that wholeheartedly. Um, there was, uh, unfortunately, at the Sydney rally, we heard uh, they were forced to disperse, uh, even though they had gathered and were being COVID safe, uh, were just trying to get that message across of sovereignty um, and the need to acknowledge the 
you know, foundations and ongoing genocide of Indigenous peoples in this country. Um, but because of police repression, they unfortunately had to disperse early. So uh, we just want to send solidarity to the, to the organizers there. And, um, you know, it's a tough call to make. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we know who's really out to protect the community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also, um, yeah, on Tuesday, a lot of the speakers were talking about the Natsal's petition that's calling on the Prime Minister to meet with families whose loved ones have died in custody for the 30th anniversary of the Royal Commission. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of families, um, Ms. Dew's family, Wayne Feller Morrison's family, uh, Christopher Drage and Tris Jack Simpson's family, uh, Joyce Clark, Gareth Jackson Rowe, David Dungay Jr., um, and... Warren John Cooper, Sheridina Wynn, Nathan Reynolds, Auntie Sherry Fisher Tirablu, Auntie Tanya Day, Raymond Noel Thompson, Stanley Inman, Tane Chatfields. Um, and so a lot of those families have been yeah, calling on justice for their loved ones. And there's a lot of those names that you would have already heard us talk about uh, throughout. 3CR Thursday morning breakfast and um, there's a lot of power in all of those families gathering together to try and meet with the Prime Minister. So please head to the Natsils website. Yep, that is natsils.org.au slash BLM where you can sign the petition um, and you can add a personal comment there as well just to, you know, uh, show your support. Um, please keep an eye on that as well, because I'm sure there'll be um, more news coming soon. Um, and yeah, uh, our solidarity to the families. Um, this is incredibly difficult work to do, um, not only losing a loved one, but having to then fight against a system that is not willing to change. Um, so as well as as well as that, um, and also I just want to say at the at the NARM rally, it was great because um, when we were all told to to punch that website into our phones, I tried to get on and the website had crashed because too many people tried to access it at the same time. So every little helps. Please sign and share. Um, also, uh, in the time that we were away, uh, the federal government, uh, Border Force, made the uh, surprise decision to actually release uh, some of the men that have been detained uh, previously at the Mantra Hotel under the Medevac legislation and then had been moved to um, Park Hotel on Swanson Street. Um which is just absolutely fantastic that they've been, you know, let out into the community. It's the demand that people have been asking for all along. It's it's horrendous that it's taken this long and that they have not had access to the medical treatment that they were actually flown over here to get. And obviously we can't guarantee that there's going to be any government support for them, which is why a uh, refugee-led group called Refugee Voices is raising money, trying to raise about $1,000 per um, person that's been released um, in order to sort of get them set up and on their feet. Um, so you can donate uh, to that at refugeevoices.org.au um, and you can also find out more information about Refugee Voices there. Um, and also just want to give a shout out to IRL InfoShop Mutual Aid um, who have been doing such incredible work since March 2020 last year. Um, yeah, I can't believe it's nearly coming up to a year and just week in, week out that collective, as well as so many other mutual aid groups, um, including the um, Blackfellow Mutual Aid Group and um, 
the Southeast Mutual Aid Group um, and also the Mutual Aid Group from Rise Refugee um, Action Collective as well have been providing uh, like yeah mutual aid support food boxes um, to people just week in week out. So IRL is trying to do one more round for uh, a lot of black fellas, um, also people on temporary visas and um, a lot of people who are undocumented migrants as well. So they're trying to do one more round of uh, food boxes and each week it costs about $2,000. And so if you can please um, yeah, support IRL Info Shop, their BSB number, you can just directly um, transfer some money is 633000, account number 163846009, or you can also PayPal them, paypal.me slash IRL Infoshop. And yeah, if you need those details, go to IRL Infoshop on Facebook, Instagram, or email them um, at IRLInfoshop at gmail.com. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Hi everyone, my name's Robbie Thorpe. I'm with 3CR Community Radio. Every year we have a subscription drive. It's a way of supporting our organisation maintain itself through the year and we rely on the support of the, the community. One way to do that is to subscribe and become a member. Become part of this organisation itself. Get in contact with 3CR. You can go to the website 3cr.org.au or you can ring on Nine four one nine eight three double seven. Three CR ensures that our voices, Aboriginal voices, are heard on this radio station. So it's a good way of supporting Aboriginal people as well by becoming a subscriber for Three CR Community Radio. So another update uh, that we haven't let you know about is unfortunately. Uh, our wonderful uh, headline doer, Kate Kelly, is um, is not going to be with us for this year. Um, Kate has uh, got some other commitments that she's working on. We wish her all the very best. Thank you so much for all the work that you've done to bring headlines to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Um, it's been invaluable work. But um, 
We now have Scheherazade, who's passed us on um, some headlines. So we're going to read those out for you. Um, so I'll get started. Uh, firstly, a gathering of 40 neo-Nazis in Garward, the Grampians National Park, has been reported to police by other hikers and residents of Halls Gap. And this is being reported by The Age. Locals reported the group marching throughout the small tourist town on Sunday and Monday, some shirtless with Nazi tattoos telling locals that they are the Ku Klux Klan. Other reports include members of the group drinking excessively and screaming racist slogans, chanting white power, demonstrating aggressive behavior, greet and greeting passersby with Sikhal salutes. According to extremist experts, two right-wing groups, the Lad Society and Antipodean Resistance, recently helped form a new Australian extremist outfit, the National Socialist Network. The network helped organize the 38 young white men to assemble in the Garroward or Grampians over the Invasion Day weekend. You can find more details about this in The Age this morning. The Australian government has ordered to compensate 1,300 asylum seekers whose details were mistakenly exposed online. After almost six years of investigation, Australia's privacy regulator has released a report into a 2014 breach that exposed asylum seekers' personal details. The error made public a vast database on the then Department of Immigration and Border Protection's website. 9,258 asylum seekers, full names, gender citizenship, date of birth, period of immigration detention, location, boat arrival details and the reasons which led to the individual becoming an unlawful non-citizen. Regarded as one of the most serious privacy breaches in Australia's history, every person held in mainland detention and on Christmas Island was identified in the database. Thousands more living in the community, under community detention, the breach also exposed children's details. The final report supports a complaint requesting an apology and compensation from the Australian government put to Australian Information Commissioner in August 2015. It ordered the department to pay compensation to participating complainants. The Privacy Commissioner said the compensation would be paid on a case-by-case basis, ranging from $500 to $20,000. The ABC cannot fill the void created by the closure of hundreds of newsrooms in suburban and regional Australia, the broadcaster told a Senate inquiry into media diversity. The news halls created by the collapse of advertising revenue for newspapers may mean the ABC is now the only news outlet covering a regional or rural town, the ABC submission says. The ABC was not established to deliver hyper-local news across Australia. This was the province of the once profitable local newspaper sector. The ABC was aimed more at delivering national news to communities and helping local voices to be heard in their regions and in national debates, the ABC submission says. Last year, News Corp Australia cut costs by closing the print editions of more than 100 local and regional newspapers, and the COVID-19 pandemic brought a fresh wave of job losses across magazines, television and newspapers, leaving some communities without a newspaper at all. The Digital Platform's inquiry heard 106 local and regional newspaper titles closed across Australia between 2008 and 2018 as Facebook and Google attracted the most advertising revenue. Last year, Australian governments sold or demolished more social housing than they built, while demand for it has soared. Official figures released last week reveal that Australia's social housing stock declined in 2019-2020, 
The combined total of public housing, community housing, state-owned and managed Indigenous housing and Indigenous community housing dwellings dropped by about 1,000 over the year. Statistics published by the Productivity Commission reveal that the recent stock of social housing decline shows that sales and demolitions excluded new construction over the past year. The University of New South Wales Urban Policy Research Centre says that Australian governments have been woefully failing to grow social housing to keep pace with the growing need of a growing population. And finally, ACT politicians and prisoner advocates have called for an investigation after allegations that an Indigenous woman detained in in a Canberra jail was strip-searched in front of male detainees, officers and nurses have been made public. The 37-year-old woman said the incident happened as she was being uh, transferred to a crisis support unit at the Alexander McConchie Centre, AMC, last month. The allegations were made public on Invasion Day as about a 1,000 people marched towards Parliament House. Winanga Nimitja, Aboriginal Health Service, said the women's human rights had been disgustingly disregarded. The Human Rights Commission and the Ombudsman are investigating the incident. So that's what we have for headlines for today. And we'll just quickly give you a bit of a rundown of what we've got on for the rest of the program. So Carly, did you want to start? Oh, all right. I'll get started. Um, So we're just going to be bringing you some excerpts from uh, the Invasion Day uh, Dawn service and uh, and some speeches from the rally. Um, And then afterwards, I'm going to be speaking with uh, Kristen O'Connell from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union um, about... Uh, the impending second cut to the job seeker payment. Obviously, the first one uh, came into effect from the 1st of January 2021. Um, and we're going to be talking about basically the need for vision and compassion in social security policy, particularly important uh, if we're thinking about an uh, in ele- in election year. And I think it's time for a song. You're listening to 3CR Thursday morning breakfast, 8.55 a.m. This one is Solid Gold by Sicko. My best friend's always later She just moves with the weather She guides me with her patience And we breathe in together Just lose with the weather 
And that track there was Sicko's Solid Gold. You're listening to 3CR, Thursday morning breakfast, 8 by 5 a.m. And now we're going to go into John Patton, who was speaking um, at the Invasion Day, uh, the Day of Mourning service. So now I'll introduce John Patton, Yoda Yoda Bunjalung man, to talk about the history of the Day of Mourning. Thank you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. My name is John Patton. I'm a Yorta Yorta and Bunjalung man. My family are from here in Victoria, from up in the, the high country, Dururawa country, from Yorta Yorta, from the Mid-Murray, and from the Clarence River in far northern New South Wales. Today is about our history, all of our history, not just Koori history here in Victoria, Aboriginal history across the country and Torres Strait Islander culture and history as well, but the history that belongs, that is what we have gained over the last 65,000 years, which belongs to all of us. Today is a day where many minds and hearts are in conflict but they don't need to be. It's been interesting to see over the last two years how the winds have changed in our direction, that more and more Australians are starting to see and are starting to speak out and understand that there is something more to be said about Australia Day, a day of mourning, Invasion Day. Even when we honour our ancestors and honour our traditional owners and our elders who are with us today. We have a long heritage that we can look back to, a long, long story. 65,000 years and further evidence today suggests up to 85,000 that we are... that we are really coming to terms or beginning to come to terms with who we are as a nation. We are very good in this country about celebrating our wins and we talk about those nation-building episodes in our history. White Australia or broader Australia are very good at talking about the First Fleet, about convicts, about the gold rush and bushrangers all, and all the romanticism, the things that they feel belong to them. But here I am, I'm a Koori man, and I also have non-Indigenous ancestry. I had a couple of ancestors that were aboard those ships that came to Australia in 1788. And when we look at that date, the 26th of January, what happened on that date? We talk about the, the British flag being raised, but it wasn't the first time that it was raised. Cook did that in 1770. We talk about it being the foundation of Australia or New South Wales, but that didn't happen until later. It wasn't in that month that the colony was properly founded and established. So what happened on that day? On that day, 
only the male convicts were allowed to go to shore. And we talk about how those people were nation builders. And yes, they were part of that story and they are an important part of the story along with all those people who came here freely and everyone who has come here since and everyone who was already here. Our history is so much more than we share with others. We tell ourselves lies in this country because we, we tell ourselves we are a young country but we are ancient. We are so much more. And I think about all those elders who fought hard in 1938 and they created a day of mourning to, to honour our past and to put into the eyes of white Australia our plight and talk about the hardships we were experiencing and not just at that point but for 150 years to that point and that we are still experiencing in many communities around this country. And we talk about the kinds of money that are being spent on Koori health and other aspects of who we are. Sure, it's a large amount of money, but when you think of our nation of 25 million people and the kind of expenditure that goes across those people and not just the 3% that make up Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders, it's a drop in the bucket. It is nowhere close to the reparations that are required to get us on a level footing where we rightfully deserve to be, equal in the eyes of all Australians. We have come a very long way, but we have a long way to go. We need to be honest about who we are as a country. We have done many great things in this land and at every step, Koori people have been a part of it. When I hear stories about, when people talk about their ancestors, non-Indigenous ancestors, and they say, oh yes, convicts are Australian royalty. What does that mean for my ancestors that we're not convicts? When they talk about history belonging to those people who established civilization, what are you talking about when you say civilization? Are you talking about when the Gunachamara built the world's greatest aquaculture system 7,000 years ago? Are you talking about the oldest building on earth, Garbramang in the Northern Territory? which is 35,000 years old and still standing? Are you talking about the fact that Aboriginal people throughout the continent wore clothing despite what your history books tell you? That we had trade and commerce. There is so much more to our history that our schools cannot present to us because they are under-resourced. Australian history in general is under-resourced and further resources are being pulled away from the education system. We have a long road ahead of us. But I think back to 1938 and the likes of my grandfather, Jack Patton, who was president of the Aborigines Progressive Association. He was a Kamragunja man. From, he was Yorta Yorta 
from up on the Murray River, up near Barmer. And he fought hard throughout his life to better the plight of his people. And whilst we have made strides and gains, there is still more to come. I think about his contemporaries, the likes of Sadag Nichols, whose daughter Auntie Pam is with us today and I'd like to acknowledge her. I think about William Cooper and Margaret Tucker and Geraldine Briggs, all of these amazing people who fought for us. And before them, the likes of Simon Wonga and William Barak, who without them there would be no Jack Patton or William Cooper. I think about Fred Maynard, who created the first Aboriginal political organisation, the Australian Aborigines Progressive Association in the 1920s. These are unsung heroes in our history, not Aboriginal history, but Australian history. We're at a point in our history that if I ask someone, do you know who Nelson Mandela is? Do you know who Dr Martin Luther King is? Most Australians know those names. How many of them know who Jack Patton is or Margaret Tucker is? How many of them know who Bill Onus is? These are people who are doing the equivalent of those heroes from abroad over 50 years earlier. And many of our leaders were fighting, fighting right from 1788. Windradine, Pemelwoy, Mosquito. There are so many names in Australian history that we do not acknowledge. So that's where we are today. We're at the back end of a very long journey that is still ongoing. There is so much that we need to change. And when we look at this date, January 26, it's not so much about the date. It's what its history has meant. Aboriginal people have been excluded from those celebrations. The first time we were invited was in 1938 when a group of men were stolen away from Menindee Mission in western New South Wales and they were ordered to perform and perform a, a retreat and a reenactment of the governor coming ashore. And if they didn't take part they would have theirs and their families' rations taken away from them. There is so much to consider in our history with our stolen generations and, and everything that is ongoing. Many things that are built on lies in this country. We can be a great country provided that we acknowledge where we have come from because you can't know where you are going if you don't know where you have come from. I'm excited about the future. Today means so many things for me. Today is my younger son's birthday. But his celebration is tempered with the fact that we are also in mourning because we have the likes of a Prime Minister who doesn't properly acknowledge or understand our history. We talk about the positives 
we don't acknowledge the negatives. Very soon we're going to be hearing the names of massacres that took place across Victoria. And these are part of the University of Newcastle project to map those massacres. And let me tell you, as a historian, there is so much more to be added to that map. Every massacre that is illustrated in that map, they are all based on multiple referenced sources. If you cannot get three distinct sources, they do not go onto the map. Yet there are many that are fully referenced that will be added to that in time. We are looking at the tip of an iceberg and already it is extremely horrific when you see how many massacres took place. This is what Australia was built on. And going back to those people who unsettled this country because they certainly weren't settling anything. When they came here, they weren't the only people contributing to that story. They were Aboriginal farmers. The agricultural industry in this country was built first on the back of Chinese labour and then on Aboriginal labour. We don't acknowledge that either. There is so much more for us to understand and appreciate about our past. 1938, when my grandfather spoke and presented, along with William Ferguson, their plan for citizenship rights in this country, some of those changes that they hoped for still have not eventuated. And so I'm excited about what the future may hold Someone did uh, something very dangerous a little bit earlier. They said, oh, you've got ten minutes to speak, John, but this is our ceremony. You know, you take what time you need and I'm not going to take too much more time. I want to leave you with my grandfather's speech from 1938. Again, I'd like to acknowledge those elders who fought on our behalf, the elders today and of tomorrow who are still fighting. And if I can get the bright light out of my eyes to eventually focus. No, unfortunately I can't. <laughs> now the fact is there are things that we can celebrate today. We have achieved much but only together as a country where people understand that celebrating Australia Day on the day that if you have convict ancestors, that their prison was established is probably not the best time to be celebrating. As someone with that non-Indigenous ancestry, I can't make sense of it. It should be a time where we can come together and where it's not a time that coincides with the beginning of the greatest stretch of cruelty in Australia's history. All the best to every one of you. Thank you.
And that was Jack Patton, a Yorta Yorta and Bundjalung man speaking at the Invasion Day. Uh, sorry, John Patton, <laughs> uh, grandson of Jack Patton, uh, speaking at the Invasion Day dawn service. And now we're going to go into a track. This one is White Noise by Dancing Water. track there was White Noise by Dancing Water. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast, 8.55am. Next up, we're going to be listening to some speeches from Invasion Day. So we're going to be hearing from Uncle Bill Nicholson, Stan Dryden, Sue Ann Hunter and Mandy Nicholson. They bought an economy here. They took ours, the environment. They did not allow us to be part of it. And that is why we still suffer today. So to the mob out there, keep fighting for (laughs) self-determination. 
Just a couple of little bits of brief history of the local area. The Mindai plague, the smallpox, nearly took us all out. That was before Batman got here. Winbury, the Tanawong warrior, Jagger Jagger, the Wurundjeri lawman, continued to fight for their sovereign rights based on their law of the land. People like Derrimut and Billabalari, who actually, through very wise decisions, kept our people alive at the most difficult time in 1835. Billabalari's son, Simon Wonga, our first land rights advocate who set up Corrindirk, and I know a lot of you mob have connections to that very special place. Does have mixed feelings though, but it was a place that kept our families alive. William Barrack, the most famous Wurundjeri elder of the past, his face is on a big building up, up the end of Swanson Street. Our first human rights advocate. He walked to this place over a dozen times from Hillsville, which is about 70 k's away, not because he wanted to walk, but we could not earn wages, we had no rights. But he came here with the men of Corinder to fight for our basic rights. In some ways, we still feel like we're fighting for similar things over 130 years later. Come on, Australia, wake up. Can you listen to us? Listens in language, not hear. Hear, just hear stuff. We want you to listen to our voice. And that is why I believe we are here today with so much support wanting our voice to be heard and listened to and respected. <laughs> the post-mission era here in Victoria anyway, and uh, New South, up in Gadigal country, Uncle Jack Patton, Uncle William Ferguson, and Victorian leader Uncle William Cooper and others now from 1938, day of mourning, could not celebrate this. You know, if you're one of those people that Australia likes you to be, ignorant, which I don't think anyone here is or you wouldn't be here, you wouldn't know that we've only just been protesting this for the last couple of years. Well, it's been over 80 years. It's one of the first social, I think it's the first social process in the world was a day of mourning in 1938. Again, can this country listen to us? and hear what we're trying to say. We are not a dividing force of this land, we're trying to unite. Jindy Warraback is unity, bringing people together, celebrating this day on January 26, so-called Australia unity. It's a division from my perspective. If we can celebrate all together, that is unity, but we just cannot do it. We cannot do it on this day. Many and many Aboriginal people feel like that. I would like to thank everyone for their support. My job at Wurundjeri is to educate this city. There's not many of us. For the ones that do Aboriginal education, all strength to you, all ancestral spirit to you. It's not easy. We're up against a wall of ignorance, but we're here as our spokesperson of our elders past and our, all of our ancestors past. The culture that we are connected to was one of the most amazing you could, you, would, you could come across. The caring of country, everyone had a place, everyone had a role. Leadership was earned, not dictated by. 
That is something I would like the Aboriginal community to consider. Can we go back in some form or another of cultural structure? Because this fellow building back here and the people in it always want us to go under their structure. And it divides us and brings us apart. I talked to some of our older fellas when the community felt stronger and unified. I was too young to feel that. I want to feel it one day. So there's a challenge for the community. Let's try and unify under our culture way. We didn't just survive here, we thrived here under that law and under that way. So there's a challenge for our community. Now, I was asked to do welcome to country. I just don't feel right welcoming people to country. I think country and the people of country are feeling pain today, feeling sorrow today. You know, some of our special animals like Dulaiwarang, Proud Lips, the Platypus, Guburu, the Koala, they're signs, they are disappearing. What are we going to do about it? Now, there's already been animals that have disappeared off land and plant. You know, that's not part of law, that's against Wurundjeri and Aboriginal law. So I would like to say to you all, I would like to welcome you to this healing ceremony. We all need to heal, we all need to, to, to unite. The smoke that you see around us is about cleansing of more your spirit. We're a very spiritual mob, both physically and spiritually responsible to this land and to one another. So I'd like to thank you all for coming to help heal with us. And to the non-Indigenous people out there, bring your friends, bring your family, listen to our story. It will help you connect to this sacred land and all the different nations that have thrived on this land for thousands of years and are still strong today. So uh, thanks everybody. I've got my brother boy up here, um, Stan Dryden. Uh, he just wants to have a word to his, um, well, he's got a chance about law. Thank you, brother. I want to acknowledge the beautiful elders, past and present, and also want to acknowledge all the people that are here today. I've noticed a lot of young people here today. My daughter's here, and with all her friends, and they're the future leaders of this land. Thank you. I've been to this march many, many times for many years, and as far as I can see down that street, down there and back that way, it's just full of people, full of a lot of good spirit. So I'd like to say to all, of, to all of all you people that are here today, please, let's just have one, mo one minute silence for our elders, past and present, for the people that walked on this land and have suffered and that were killed. And, and can we just have one moment, one minute silence, please? For thousands of years on this land, we've had law, Aboriginal law. Over 200 years ago, white law approached this land where Aboriginal people were strong, with loyalty, honour, respect. And when they come with their law, with their guns and their religions, they stopped us from speaking our language and from doing our law. 
I'm speaking on behalf of John Charles in the late 1800s on his death certificate they said he accidentally shot himself and I'm standing here today as a man to on his behalf to say something to the people that are here today we must have unity this law has been created divide divide and conquer and it's all about fear and fear stands for face everything can recover or everything can run I'm not running anymore either of you guys we're here together It's when we walk on this land and we teach our children, not in schools, but from where we're, what we're learning today, what our brother boys just spoke about today. We've got some beautiful dancers that are going to come up and share their culture and their story through their dance. We're here to respect the people of the land. And with the, with the law, the white law that's here today, if you're in a church or at a funeral or something like that, you would take your hat off in respect. I would like to put it to the police that are here today to take your hat off and respect the land that you're standing on right now. Can you take your hats off, please? So that's your white law. Aboriginal law always was and always will be. Have a great day. Love you all. Thank you. Big thanks to, to Uncle Bill. And I always learn something more when he's around and and you know, it's just beautiful. We, need, we do need to heal. And where that starts is with all of us and how we work together in, in moving forward. So this April is 30 years since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. But there have been over 441 black deaths in custody since then and no one's held criminally, criminally responsible. <laughs> Racism is killing our people in custody. Our elders, mothers, fathers, siblings and children. Fifteen of their families fighting for justice have come together and today we call on everyone here to support them by signing their petition. Mrs Doog, Aunty Sherry Fisher, Tilbaru, David Dungay Jr, Aunty Tanya Day, Wayne Morrison, Joyce Clark, Shenda Wynn and her father Warren Cooper, Chris Drake, Tris Jack Simpson, Garth Jackson Rowe, Raymond Noel Thomas, Stanley Inman, Tane Chatfield and Nathan Reynolds. The families want the Prime Minister to meet them for the 30th year anniversary. They say, this change needs to be led by us. We are coming to Canberra and we want our voices heard. So join our call to be part of history. So today at the rally, going to see people holding this sign. Scan the QR code to sign the petition. Get out your phone right now, open your web browser and put in natsels.org.au forward slash BLM. This is one thing you can do today to fight for the voices to be heard and to get systemic change. Black Lives Matter. It isn't over until there is justice for every single family until there's an end to black deaths in custody. So make sure you see this sign and you sign that petition. Thank you. Thank you. We're now um, just gonna call Mandy Nicholson up to the stage. Um,
another cousin of mine. And uh, the Jiri Jiri dancers are going to uh, perform their welcome dance to welcome you to this country. Beladu nyan wangat naranik mendi waranjeri wilamik waranjeri balakut undana murup kelar birang undana kiripik balalal ba gugung nugulik ba pinanang Stacy. We got drowned this morning in that beautiful cleansing rain, and Stacy's going to talk about that about the dawn service that we attended early this morning. It was beautiful. But what I'm up here to do. So we're going to do a Wamajigan Yarka, a welcome dance. So you might not be able to see the girls, but they're going to dance in the front here. But what I want everyone to do right now, I'm going to get you all involved. I'm going to get you to speak in some language, in Woiwurrung language. I want all the women in the audience to put your fist up and I want your biggest, loudest voice and say, Gumbu. And I want to hear you right, right in the back as loud as you can, Gumbu. One more time. I want all you men to put your other fist up and say Ngolo. Ngolo. The women were louder. Come on, boys. Ngolo. That was what I wanted to hear. Now, what I want you all to do is put both your fists up and the women and men together say Gambu Ngolo. And I want you to say that five times louder every time. Gambu Ngolo. Gambu Ngolo. Gambu Ngolo. Gambu Ngolo. One more time as loud as you can do. What you just said was one voice. We are one voice all together. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. You just heard an excerpt of Invasion Day speeches from the NARM rally, which included uh, talks from Uncle Bill Nicholson, Stan Dryden, Sue Ann Hunter, and Mandy Nicholson. And now we're going to go into a song. This one is Groovy by Barker. I'm groovy, I'm a monument, you can never move me. I like when haters talk, find it real soothing. That's a lullaby, yellow buzz Borderline, I'm a little crazy. Money. Ain't no saints in this game, yeah, life made me. Sorry that you can't face me, Miss Daisy Rustart. Good hot, mainstream, can't change me, I'm a mad can. Still I change my ways, and when I walk in the room, watch them change their face. Uh, back in the day, I love to catch a case. But sick of stupid coppers, give a fuck out my face. My way. Make way for me, baby, Tita ain't plain Jane Tita is that good, Tita came with flames And when you hear my name, they say this got game Real talk, look, they ain't stepping to me And if I act in real messy, that's too messy for me Go and rip my shit on YouTube, get the message for free And I'ma show you how a sister made it out of the street Go and show them something, I talk it out, walk it Jump off the stage, I'm a little bit awkward Grab my persona, then I got it all sorted It's Barker to the B, big Tita, my cousin I got my groove back, bitch, I'm groovy
this. I was spitting bars ever since I was a kid. Little bitty titty came to let her door rip. Then I grew to a base, then I came in a grip. Huh. Ain't nobody do it like me. Now I ain't got no time for no low self-esteem. It started with a dream, now it look at me. Came up 2020 and I came with the state. I got my groove back, bitch, I'm proof here. I'm a monument, you can never move me. I like when haters talk, find it real And that track there was Groovy by Barker. You're listening to 3CR Thursday morning breakfast, 8.55 a.m. All right, and now we're going to go to an interview with Kristen O'Connell, who's a spokesperson for the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. And Kristen is joining us to discuss the impending second cut to the job seeker payment and the need for vision and compassion in Australian social security policy. Hi, Kristen. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Hi, Priya. Thanks so much for having me. So um, how about we just jump straight into it? Um, as people will know, the job seeker rate was initially cut back uh, from the, the 2020 uh, COVID rate um, on the 1st of January. And um, when does the rate of job seeker get cut again? And how has this increased rate benefited people um, over 2020? Yeah, so they've actually been um, cutting the rate bit by bit since September and I think, you know, they're trying to um, kind of gently boil the frog in the sort of don't feel as harsh a snap um, in their kind of budget and are therefore less likely to, um, you know, very loudly resist what's happening. So CUT went in on 1 January to bring the payment down to about $50 a day and um, that's already seen people contacting us, an increase in the number of people contacting us um, being worried about becoming homeless, being worried about how they're going to be able to afford to eat. And um, we saw that you know, already in the September cut as well. So the next cut will come in on 1 April. Um, the rate will go all the way back down to $40 a day, which is where it was before COVID, about half the poverty line. And um, that rate has not increased other than this brief period um, during 2020 um, since you know, about the early early to mid-90s. So it's been well below the poverty line for a long time and successive governments have refused to do anything to support people who depend on welfare to live. Yeah, it's absolutely appalling. And I think um, we've also seen um, some of the clear impacts of obviously raising uh, the job seeker rate above the poverty line last year. So what were the, some of the changes that you observed, um, you know, for people who had finally had access to an income that was above the poverty line just for that short period? Yeah, so actually I think the number one thing um, most people reported was really amazing improvements in their health, their mental health, um, their physical health. People were having their stress alleviated, people who'd been on payments um, for quite some time were able to catch up on bills that they'd never been able to stay on top of on the poverty rate. we have people talking about, you know, repairing a car that had been um, broken for two years, you know, and that obviously limits your ability to look for work. Um, people talking about how that um, 
anxiety and that stress being out of their life to some extent made it easier for them to look for work and to find suitable work. Um, and of course, just being able to eat properly makes a huge difference as well. Being able to afford your medication, to afford to go to the doctor when you need to and to afford any other health support that you need, which, you know, again, this wasn't a luxury payment. It was still on the poverty line, but it meant people could do those basic things that um, not only made their life better, but also did the thing that the government says it wants us all to do and put them in a better position to find work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, with concerns like food insecurity, that's not the sort of thing, um, you know, that tends to be talked about by government unless it pertains to sort of remote communities. And even in that case, you know, quite rarely, even though there was an inquiry last year. But if we think about the rate of food insecurity, the fact that people, you know, have had to sacrifice accessing medications or, you know, had to make a choice between accessing medication or, um, accessing clothing for a job interview. It's really the sort of dire choices that people have to make. Um, so I'm just wondering, uh, because I know that the rate of jobs, uh, job keeper is going to be cut in uh, March, I believe. Do you anticipate that there'll be further impacts or um, an intersection between the, the cut to job seeker and the cut to job keeper? Yeah, we're really worried about what's going to happen when job keeper um, comes off. We know that um, when the rate went down again. They've kind of been doing this little chipping away at JobKeeper. In the previous round, um, people certainly were uh, became eligible to move into the welfare system because the rate of JobKeeper was so low. So a payment designed um, both to keep you in work um, and to support um, your salary uh, actually put people in a position where they had such, such a small amount coming in that they were on an unemployment payment at the same time as being on a payment that was supposed to keep them in employment. Um, so yeah, we think that we'll see more of that again in March, um, or at, you know, in April after the um, the cut happens in the end of March. Um, so yeah, the the interaction between the two um, has been um, both good and bad for people who have had their job keeper cut. It's been important that they could access extra support um, through the unemployment payment, but obviously it just shouldn't be that way. Yeah, and um, you know, I think there's been there's been a little bit of hue and cry about the need to the need to raise minimum wage and and that kind of thing, especially after what's been going on in the States. But I think it also comes back down to the distinction that is continually made between the quote-unquote deserving and undeserving poor, um, which was a very clear line across which the job seeker and job keeper payments were stratified. Um, So I guess turning to the sort of broader issues, where do the political, uh, the main political parties stand on these issues of social security payments? Yeah, I mean, it's clear that um, at the moment the government doesn't have any compassion for people who are relying on welfare payments. Um, they have continually divided us, as you said, the, you know, the design of JobKeeper um, specifically to separate people who had recently, you know, who had lost work um, that meant that they maybe could still be employed on the books but actually have no income versus people who lost work that meant they were not on employers' books or who've been out of work for some time. They separated um, people who are disabled from people who are on an unemployment payment by excluding people on disability support pension and carers' pension um, from the $550 coronavirus supplement. And we know that um, they have shown no interest in responding to um, demands from the community, demands from people on payments, and demands from economists 
um, and the Australian Retailers Association, for example, to keep this rate at a livable level um, because, you know, it benefits individuals' well-being, but, um, you know, people who are interested in making lots of money know that it benefits the economy as well. So I think, you know, it just shows that the government, you know, hates poor people more than they love their donors. But when it comes to the opposition um, and the minor parties, the Labor Party has said the rate isn't enough, but they have never, unfortunately, said what they think the rate should be. And we have repeatedly asked the Labor Party just to simply say that they don't believe um, that the government should force people to live in poverty. We haven't got there yet, but we hope that... Um, we keep asking them, maybe by their conference in March, we might get them to say something like that. Um, the Greens support keeping the rate at its current level. Um, and, you know, the minor parties are kind of, uh, they're a movable feast, but they're at least open to hearing um, evidence and understanding people's situation before they make a decision. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, if we're thinking about coming up to an election, it's really important to know where uh, the different parties stand on this issue. I mean, the government's made their position quite clear, but... I guess, um, you know, there are concerns about Labor, I guess, keeping their cards close to their chest on this. People, this is this is a matter of life and death for people. They really need to know. Um, so why should, and I guess this is this is a very broad question, but I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on it. Why should Social Security policy prioritize compassion? Um, well, for one thing, um, you know, we all, hopefully in Australia, I think we're a society that believes everyone does deserve to live and that we shouldn't um, have to have extreme suffering just because we can't find a paid job. Um, there's also just the fact that it is part of the design of the system that unemployment exists. The government has said that its target unemployment rate is 6%. So if they're looking at having, you know, 800,000 to a million people be out of work as part of their plan, then it's absolutely their responsibility and the responsibility of all of society to make sure that those people are cared for. Um, we shouldn't have to be used as some kind of fodder for the machine to make sure that wages are suppressed and that's kind of the role the government has given to unemployed people at the moment. So I think there's the basic humanity of the situation and there's a recognition that... Um, People are being used as an economic tool here, and so therefore, it's the, you know, it's the only thing to do is to make sure that we can at least eat and pay our bills. Um, everyone in in society is a contributor in some way, and those of us who aren't currently in waged work are doing things that benefit um, our community. We're just not um, having those contributions recognised. So there's lots of reasons why I think we should have compassion in social security policy, and I don't imagine that the 3CR audience needs much convincing, um, but that's just a couple of the, the reasons why. Absolutely. And, I mean, when you think about how... Um, I'm trying to think about what's the opposite of compassion... Well, punitive, brutality, and brutal, cruelty, yeah. yeah. How cruel government policy has been, and, and the sort of attempts that have been made over the past few years to make it even harder for people to access the limited social security payments that they actually get, um, with forced income management programs, with uh, a proposal to even uh, drug test people that are receiving social security payments. Um, it's really sort of pushing people into a condition, or well, people have been living in this condition already that is just you know, untenable, unlivable. Um, so what is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union's vision to sort of achieve a compassionate welfare system? 
Well, the very first thing that we think needs to happen is that mutual obligations, which are the activities that the government forces you to do just to get your payment, and they are pointless activities that do not help um, people find work, is to say that those should be abolished. They serve no purpose other than to profit private organisations who have been given the job of policing unemployed people. So abolishing mutual obligations would alleviate a lot of stress for many people and free up their time to help them either look for paid work or to do things that make it easier to survive on this extremely low payment, um, things like spending more time preparing healthy food rather than just going through the you know, motions of putting in 20 job applications a month um, or going to pointless appointments with your job agency or constantly having your resume updated or going to a class where you're being taught to tie your shoelaces and shake hands. Um, so that's the first thing we think needs to happen. Um, obviously, a very clear one is to make sure that income support payments are all above the poverty line. Social security should mean that no one lives in poverty, in our opinion. Um, and... Longer term, we think there needs to be very um, significant structural change. So looking at um, really localised solutions for unemployment because the circumstances in different communities are so varied. Um, if we're talking about remote communities, we're talking about places where, you know, we can't just bring up a, a new business um, of a major investor to come in and, like, create jobs in that community. So the government should be recognising that there's work that can be done to care for the environment, to care for people um, and providing funding for programs like that, but doing it in response to community needs that the community themselves have identified um, and looking at where they can, um, you know, create employment policy um, in particular areas that may re revitalise or bring back um, the types of jobs that may have been lost in recent years, but in new industries. So a really obvious example that lots of people would be aware of is um, renewable energy industries are pre present a great opportunity and the government is resisting those really hard as well. So we think that job creation needs to be localised, it needs to be supported by government and it needs to be led by community. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, unfortunately, what, what we're seeing as well is just the sort of, like, an almost perverse example of that going completely the wrong way is is things like, you know, government punishing people in remote Indigenous communities in particular by, you know, putting them on forced income management. But then um, when you're thinking about opportunities for work, then allowing um, retailers like Dan Murphy's to open, you know, a mega store in a dry or like near a dry community mm -hmm. um, and not seeing how that is completely contradictory to the community's wishes, but also puts people in a position where government can more easily sanction them um, and take away their limited access to, to inadequate social security payments anyway. That's right. The violence um, the government perpetrates against um, first people through the welfare system is really unconscionable and it's hard to fathom actually because those of us in um, more heavily populated areas, um, we're quite shielded from it. They do primarily target people in really remote communities. Um, so, yeah, the idea that you should have uh, your income being controlled to some extent by the government in itself is awful um, and it's a breach of human rights. But on top of that, we know there are people having their income managed in this way who actually have a job. 
So the idea that any of these programs are designed to help someone find work or even to punish them for not having work is just laughable because there are people who have work, they just don't have their job, you know, their waged work is such a bad job that they actually can't get off an unemployment payment even though they're employed. And, yeah, creating the conditions to um, even further punish people by doing things like putting, um, you know, liquor stores um, in and around communities that have asked for that not to happen is, yeah, as you said, the exact opposite of what should be happening for people in the welfare system and in the community more broadly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So... What uh, So where can people find out more about what the AUWU is doing and get involved in fighting back um, against these punitive policies and in pushing for some real change in social security policy? Yeah, so um, we have really great uh, communities on Facebook and Twitter. So you can look us up on either of those platforms with Oz Unemployment, that's AUS Unemployment. Um, this year we're going to have a really big push to have people out uh, in their community, at their job agencies, at Centrelink offices, um, at work for the Dole sites, talking to people in welfare, talking to their peers, um, providing information about their rights. And we would welcome anyone, whether you're in the welfare system or not, to learn about the rights of people who are on income support and to help us um, share that information with people who will benefit from knowing about it. Um, tomorrow we are having a protest in Adelaide and even if you're not in Adelaide, you can jump online and support that protest. Um, the hashtag is Stop Job Agency Abuse. Um, and, oh, sorry, no, it's not. It's Abolish Job Agency. <laughs> um, and uh, we are going to be there to try and stop job agency abuse. Um, and we'd love to see people either sharing their own story um, about their experience with a job agency um, or to share a message of support um, to people in wel- on welfare in general or specifically to um, Franklin, who's one of our members in Adelaide, who was visited at his home and coerced into signing a form so that his job agency could make a few thousand dollars for something that they didn't do. And that's a really common um, story in the system. So we encourage people to get online, um, participate in our communities and to yeah support people who are... Uh, experiencing things like Franklin did um, with things like that protest tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And we will um, make sure that uh, I'll be sharing that and and following along and we'll have you back on um, in a couple of weeks as well to to have a chat about how that went and how, um, you know, this is progressing and especially, you know, to hear about if there are any changes to that um, labour platform um, when, Mm -hmm. you know, any changes come out with their conference to see if, if there has been a clear uh, position that's been taken and then have a bit of a discussion about that. Um, But Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to speak with us and um, all the best with the action tomorrow. Great. Thank you so much, Priya. And that was Kristen O'Connell, who's a spokesperson for the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Uh, Kristen joined us to speak about the cut to job seeker, which is impending in April and the need for vision and compassion in social security policy. And this next track is about these demons by Jimbler. They don't wanna see it. They don't wanna see it. Cause they don't understand. They don't understand. What happened to my gene? What happened to my gene? Does anybody see it? Can anybody see? It? Cause all I want is free 
freedom. All I want is freedom. But ain't nobody listens. And ain't nobody speaking. Cause they don't wanna see it. They don't wanna see it. But they don't understand. They don't understand. How'd I do this for attention? But just to get some mentions, I do this for my culture, I do this for my spirit. Been trying to make some sense of, to bring about this healing. Been trying to climb this mountain, it been going on forever. Cause Bullender, Bullender, y'all need an intervention. In Bullender, Bullender, y'all need to quit pretending. Put my back against the wall, it's clear, y'all missed the message. When you fail to see what you inherit. I remember everything. I remember everything. You said you'd never do it again. You said you'd never do it again. All of the lies that you said. All of the lies that you said. So I will no longer pretend. I will no longer pretend. That you don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. Because you don't understand. You don't understand about these demons, about these demons. Does anybody care? Does anybody care? Cause I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. Cause I don't understand. incredible track there was about these demons by Jimbler. You're listening to 3CR Thursday morning breakfast, 8 by 5 a.m. So we just wanted to take you back through some of those petitions and uh, donation drives that we think is really important to get involved in. Um, we mentioned at the top of the show. So firstly, uh, was the petition that has been really widely circulated across the Invasion Day rallies around the country, uh, which is Natsal's Black Lives Matter uh, petition, which has basically been called together or brought together by the families of Aboriginal people who have died in custody. And it's a petition calling on the Prime Minister to meet with those families uh, whose loved ones have died in custody for the 30th anniversary of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. So we really encourage you to sign that petition and you can find that at natsils.org.au slash blm. Something else that we raised earlier on was the fact that uh, men that have been detained at the Mantra uh, Hotel and now at the Park Prison Hotel have recently been de- uh, 
released into the community um, as per the requests of, you know, themselves and advocates, and they've been detained for such a long time, uh, but obviously released into the community with little to no support. And so a refugee-led group called Refugee Voices is trying to raise at least $1,000 per man that's been released just to get them on their feet and get them some basic supplies. They are running a donation drive, and you can donate to that at refugeevoices.org.au, and we really encourage you to do so. And earlier on in the show, uh, Priya talked about the Lambak Festival, Warren of Kanak, which happened on Saturday, um, that's just gone. And if you didn't get to make it along, then you can always um, head to Instagram and follow Warren of Kanak and make sure that you donate to that Lambak initiative. And lastly, IRL InfoShop is trying to do one more round of mutual aid support for particularly Aboriginal families, uh, people on temporary visas and undocumented migrants. And so if you can head to Facebook or Instagram and follow IRL InfoShop, and then you can find links to donate directly to their um, bank account or via PayPal. You can email IRL InfoShop and also there's a GoFundMe as well. Hi everyone, my name's Robbie Thorpe. I'm with 3CR Community Radio. Every year we have a subscription drive. It's a way of supporting our organisation maintain itself through the year and we rely on the support of the, the community. One way to do that is to subscribe and become a member. Become part of this organisation itself. Get in contact with 3CR. You can go to the website 3cr.org.au or you can ring on 94198377 3CR ensures that our voices aboriginal voices are heard on this radio station so it's a good way of supporting aboriginal people as well by becoming a subscriber for 3CR community radio Nominations are sought for the Darabin Community Awards for individuals and groups who have made an outstanding contribution to the Darabin community over the past year. We are delighted to announce two new categories, Cold Elder Community Leader of the Year and Cold Emerging Leader. Nominations close 11th of February 2021. For more information, contact the City of Darabin on 8470 8888. That's 8470 Double eight, double eight. The City of Darabin is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Thursday morning breakfast, 8.55am. And so we'll do a rundown of the show now that it's coming up to the conclusion of Thursday morning breakfast's first day back in 2021. So um, first up, we heard John Patton speaking about the history of the of Invasion Day, which is a day of mourning. After that, we heard some excerpts from Invasion Day rally speeches at the NARM rally, um, and we heard from Uncle Bill Nicholson, Stan Dryden, Sue Ann Hunter, and Mandy Nicholson. And then Priya just um, spoke with Kristen O'Connell from the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union, who joined us to speak about the impending cut to job seeker and the need for vision and compassion in social security policy. 
Um, so now there was one last thing that I really wanted to plug and encourage people to go out and get. Um, if you haven't already heard about it, um, Darren Ball and South Sea Islander journalist Amy McGuire has recently released a beautiful book um, for young people called Daybreak about a family's return uh, home back to country on the 26th of January. And this is targeted at young readers, but I'm sure people of all ages can really appreciate um, the beautiful narrative and images where it was illustrated by Matt Chun. Um, so I really encourage people to go have a look and see if they can grab a copy of Daybreak for the young people in your lives. Um, it's just, yeah, a really magical story, a really great introduction uh, to young people to talk to them about some of the really important issues around Indigenous sovereignty. And um, yeah, I think just really strongly encourage people to go get one. I got my I got my nieces a copy and I can't wait to um, head to their place and and read it um, to myself. Um, yeah, so please go out and get a copy of Daybreak. Um, you'll be doing yourself a favor. Absolutely. And now we're going to finish the show on this song, Dreaming Now's Australia Does Not Exist, featuring, featuring Kian. Australia does not exist Australia does not exist Australia does not exist Australia does not exist 1788 came upon this land Watched into the bay, stepped upon sacred sands Didn't recognize there was governance at hand Laws and conditions not based upon demands Tribes, clans and families in line with sacred chants Song lines, stories, blessing, woman, child, and man Stars, constellations, formulating plants Bountiful plains of medicinal plants Spouts beyond the physical, beating our dance None of this dreaming, unfolded by chance But they didn't see this majesty Right before their eyes, labeled us as savages And plotted out of Mars, took our star formations to represent their plot. Now realize the natural essence brought into those knots. Busy painting laws to sidestep our rise. Deny our very ways to be were out of sight, out of mind. Spotted laws, this landscape never defined in the previous 60,000 plus years of time. That said, Australia still has seen a crime when they push aside the matters and it's blinded in the blind. Take that land, take it for our own. Those who take a stand will kneel before the throne, kneel before the crown. Hands on the ground, then we'll take all the kids. Hush, don't make a sound, nothing but savages. We'll show them how they're supposed to live, and if they don't assimilate, I guess we'll have to demonstrate our superiority in every single way. And remind them how we've conquered them every single day. And what better way to do this than to give this land a name? Australia, yeah, the great land that was claimed. Man, it ain't gonna work. Watch us grow like flowers if we come from the dirt. The hurt runs deep. Our peep came just to reframe the pictures of the past so my people know where we came from. We've been here all along. See, Australia don't exist, just another damn myth. Australia does not exist. What they be selling is myth. Australia does not exist. 
Open your eyes. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events.